Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad to have all of you with us for our show today. I've got a lot to talk about, uh, including what was a marathon raucous session at Atlanta City Council overnight last night um, in which hundreds of protesters showed up to uh, give their comments. There was a public comment session that went on for 14 hours. Virtually all of the people who spoke, uh, maybe not surprisingly, were opposed to the center. There, there's a lot more energy around the protesters, I think, than around uh, the supporters of the center. Uh, By the end of the evening, or I should say early this morning, around 5.30 this morning, finally, city council voted 11 to 4 to approve the uh, Atlantis portion of funding for the police training center. It uh, We'll talk in a few minutes about how much money they're actually committing. It's more than uh, they had initially uh, uh, said it uh, was going to be, which led caused some of the friction that was part of the protests uh, yesterday. Um, we've got two candidates for president, actually three jumping into the race in the next 24 hours, Chris Christie uh, tonight, Mike Pence uh, tomorrow, um, and then the governor of North Dakota sometime tomorrow uh, as well. We'll talk about that and uh, more on today's Political Rewind. Let me start by introducing our panel. Uh, Tamar Hallerman is my regular panelist and partner from the AJC on Tuesdays. You know Tamar's the senior reporter for the AJC and part of the team at the paper that have stayed on top of Fawny Willis and her grand jury activity. And Tamar, at some point today, we're going to get an update from you on that. So I'm glad you're here. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's kind of weird not having that be the big focus of the show today. But man, what a city council meeting. Yeah, it, it, it really was almost, I think it's safe to say, unprecedented. Jim Galloway, a former political columnist for the AJC, has switched over to be on the show uh, today, and we're very glad to have you here, Jim. Thanks for joining us. No, and, and if I could take a point of personal privilege, I want to give a shout out to the MD Collins High School class of 73. We've got our 50th year anniversary <laughs> reunion coming up. <laughs> Oh, congratulations, old man. <laughs> uh, to round out the journalists on our panel today, Peter Biello, a host of All Things Considered, um, is here for the first time. Peter, you spent a lot of time uh, covering the city council meeting uh, and public comment section yesterday. So thank you for joining us. Uh, you, we look forward welcome. to uh, your uh, observations. <laughs> yeah, happy to be and, here. And we're also very glad to have back Bernard Fraga, professor of political science at Emory University. Bernard, how are you? How's your summer going so far, Bernard? Well, it's going well, and I'm glad I got to sleep in a little bit. Didn't have to show up to the city council meeting, unlike the journalists um, here. So I'm very happy to be here this morning. Well rested. Well, thank you for being here. Um, All right, Peter, why don't we uh, give you uh, a chance to talk to us a bit about 
yesterday, if you don't mind, start by telling us a bit about this extraordinary turnout of protesters and the various reasons they were there to protest, because we know that there's not one unified reason that people don't want to see this built, but Talk to us about what you saw. Sure. Okay. Quick table setting is that we're talking about this controversial uh, public safety training center meant for, you know, police, fire, EMTs, all manner of first responders. It's going to be in uh, southeast Atlanta uh, on, on 85 acres of a, of a, a forested area uh, that, that some protesters are concerned about for environmental reasons. Um, others are concerned about the militarization of police. And those are the two main reasons that that people came out in force to protest this. Uh, They're worried about the lungs of Atlanta, and they're also worried about the militarization of police and how uh, police do their jobs, uh, especially how they treat black people. That was mentioned quite a bit last night during the public comments. On the public comments, uh, before the meeting began, the meeting started at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, more than 350 people signed up to deliver uh, two minutes of public commentary. Now, some people signed up simply to hand over their two minutes to another speaker. So some people were able to speak. Uh, I saw some people speak up to 10 minutes. Uh, so that that was part of it. Some people didn't attend, intend to speak, but they did want to show their support one way or another. Uh, shortly after the, the, the meeting began, it was clear that there was some discontent about the way people were able to sign up for public comment. There was allegedly only one sheet available where people could sign up to to give public comment. And by, by city ordinance, uh, once the public comment begins, you can't sign up anymore. So the, the city council, uh, uh, inspired by some, some folks shouting from the audience, decided to uh, uh, amend the agenda so that anybody who was still there willing to give public comment after the 350-plus people already on the list made their comments, those people could speak as well. And uh, all in all, that's how we got more than 14 hours of, of public comment that, that made the meeting last uh, basically from 1 in the afternoon yesterday until 5.30 this morning. Um, it was uh, quite a scene, as you pointed out, Tamar. Uh, it, wasn't a co- I, I, it wasn't as if people got up and were kind of quiet about the way they expressed their protest. There was a lot of chanting, a lot of anger, directed at members of city council. Uh, so uh, to some extent, it's interesting that they were able to preserve some semblance of order, even though it took them till 5.30 this morning to get to a vote. And I think Peter can speak to this a little bit more, but it seemed like they barely held together order during many moments to hear all the jeering and the boos and the cheering. That's not something you hear at a normal meeting or when I covered millions of Capitol Hill hearings, uh, protesters would be escorted out immediately. But I think it was clear to these members, the members of the city council that they had to let folks vent. Obviously, this crowd was overwhelmingly against uh, this police training center. I believe only four or five people the entire time, hundreds of comments, only four or five of them spoke in support. And I think that the members knew they had to do that. At the same time, it was pretty remarkable to see and hear about the way, especially that the the protesters were talking to folks like Michael Julian Bond. Uh, you know, his father, of course, was a, a massive civil rights leader. Um, and, and folks were extremely unhappy with him. Um, Bernard, one of the things, you know, Peter's already told us that there was a lot of uh, uh, prote- a lot of the protesters talked about the racial component of all this, and, and I think to some extent talking about 
in the environmental pollution that could result from the building on the site, and, and how we certainly know from historical you know, studies that, in fact, it is minority communities that pay the highest price in terms of uh, the environment quite often in these situations. But I also think it's worth, in the same context, pointing out that a lot of the anger uh, that uh, came up yesterday and the first time there was a public hearing uh, uh, for the protesters um, is about that black members of the city council were supporting this. Um, and there was a lot of black anger over that. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, honestly, the council was kind of between a rock and a hard place when you think about it. You know, as you mentioned in 2021, the plans for this project, um, you know, dubbed Cop City, have already had already been approved. I think the big story is that it seems like city council members, in particular, you know, the city council members who are representing, you know, the heavily black portions of Atlanta, did not seem responsive, at least in terms of the way they voted, did not seem responsive to you know, any of the concerns that were being brought up by uh, their constituents, quite frankly. And again, I think this is because we see in terms of the way the power structure is organized in the city, um, the way this project was presented, the idea that this was necessary to improve morale among law enforcement, that this was necessary to placate um, the Buckhead secessionists and other segments of, you know, the kind of broader Atlanta power structure that, again, um, these city council members, in theory, at least in terms of their voters, are not representing. So I think there's a lot of anger and a lot of concerns about the state of democracy in Atlanta in particular. Jim, uh, you certainly know that uh, we are broadcast statewide. There are people right now listening to us from all over the state of Georgia. And, and I'm sure that some of them uh, look at this as strictly a local issue in the city of Atlanta, maybe metro Atlanta to some extent. But the reality is this exposes a much larger question, and that is the many communities across our state and others, particularly communities of color, who have no trust in law enforcement. And that's being certainly expressed by some of those protesters who have been out in force yesterday and beyond. Right, right. And and it. Uh, I think we had uh, one gentleman, uh, uh, a, a a member of the Atlanta PD, uh, get up and and say when he when he was training, he had to drive sixty miles down south to Forsyth, Forsyth Georgia, not Forsyth County, Forsyth Georgia, uh, where the where where the uh, the 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 state has a a training facility, uh, and that's one of the few places that you can get uh, that the training that you need to be certified, and uh, it, it it's. Uh, it's, it's so the the, the resource, training resources are very very limited. Uh, I think you do have to, we we do have to mention here that basically city count that fourteen hour session city council was pay, paying for a couple sins, uh, uh, that that but uh, that uh, uh, were caused by the by kind of the a real obtuse rollout of this project. Uh, and that's number one. It's the notice that the, the city share of this is going to it, it was was really double what was being advertised. It's going to be, I think, sixty seven million instead of thirty million, and and uh, and that was that was known that was known among a, a small circle of city officials and 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 other supporters of of the training center, but it wasn't widely known. And then of course you had last week's raid, state uh, a, a state motivated raid. On uh, uh, the resulted in the re the arrest of uh, uh, three uh, three fundraisers 
uh, for a, 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 a for a fund that was being used uh, to to bail out protesters to 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 buy yard signs uh, and and amid and they were being accused of associating with domestic terrorists, which is if if it's uh, uh, I think the judge there, uh, who released the three on fifteen thousand dollar bails, um, uh, I, I think he was very, very skeptical of the state charges. Peter, uh, uh, Jim actually anticipated what I wanted to ask you, which is just that um, the the two events: the fact that we suddenly learned that the cost of this is not thirty million but sixty seven million, uh, because of a leaseback arrangement that will. Uh, uh, hold the city responsible for 1.2 or more million a year for leasing the facility from the police foundation. And then this this raid, which really has gotten a, a, an enormous amount of attention uh, because of, of what appears to be some uh, over-response by law enforcement when they made these arrests. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's the latest in an escalation that's been occurring um, as depends on how far you want to look back, right? We could start in January with the shooting of Manuel Tehran, also known as Tortuguita. He he was shot by police in the forest while protesting, and he was killed. Uh, and and the investigation into that is still ongoing. Uh, the so tensions started to ramp up after that, and then in March there was a concert in the forest. Uh, that where a small group of protesters uh, turned violent, started throwing Molotov cocktails and descro- destroying equipment. That's where the domestic terrorism arrests happened. Uh, uh, almost a couple dozen people arrested on domestic terrorism charges uh, at that particular event. And then this Atlanta Solidarity Bail Fund was helping to, A, bail those people out, and B, pay for their defense. And so when the three people were arrested, those people were working on the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, helping to uh, pay for the defense of some of those folks um, and so when that arrest came, basically with a SWAT team, uh, people thought it was pretty heavy-handed for, for basically clerical accounting errors, if they indeed commit errors. That's, that's not been adjudicated yet. Um, so their tensions are high because of all those things. And yes, also the funding, the fact that you know, it, it seems like it's a little more expensive uh, or actually twice as much uh, money as uh, initially believed. But this was this was known by some, but the the falsehoods were kind of let to exist without without correction because those who are pushing this project don't want to publicly increase the price tag if if everybody else is saying otherwise. Tamar, um, it's interesting that the the arrest of those three individuals, whose defense is along with their the, those who support them, is we're not doing anything that civil rights organizations have done for decades, which is raise money to pay to bail out people who are arrested in protest. That's their argument. Um, but it is interesting that, as far as I know, it was that arrest that led to both John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock weighing in really for the first time on the whole matter of the police training center. Uh, Warnock was quoted as saying, quote, the uh, state tactics can have a chilling effect on nonviolent, constitutionally protected free speech activities. Uh, Senator Ossoff said the arrest, quote, of Georgians reputedly engaged in legal aid activities demands uh, scrutiny. Um, And all this was ordered, um, apparently, according to reporting in the AJC, by the Attorney General, Chris Carr, who has political ambitions in his future. And I think for Republicans, it's been a moment where they can kind of sit back and let it play out, let the Democrats and, and the left kind of turn on each other. 
but you saw that a lot of activists were really emboldened by the statements that we saw from Senators Warnock and Ossoff. And even if they didn't, even if the senators didn't completely put themselves in their corner, uh, the fact that that we were seeing kind of notes of caution and even some some criticism was a big moment for folks. And I think something I'm going to be watching is whether any of these city council members who usually pretty easily win re-election, usually these city races don't tend to get a ton of attention beyond the mayor's race. Will people remember this in late 2024? It's a long time between now and then, um, you, you know, ages in, in politics, but is this something uh, where activists can kind of keep it at the forefront, especially uh, once this public or police training center gets built? Bernard and then Jim. So, you know, I mean, again, we have to remember this was supposed to be a foregone conclusion that the idea was this is going to get built. And no matter what, um, at the time, a small group of protesters in 2022 do, um, they're not going to be able to block it. And the lack of any kind of public statement by our senators, the Democratic senators, Ossoff and Warnock, was seen as a signal of the fact that, you know, this wasn't really going to become a major issue. This is going to go away. And I think, you know, even though the vote 11 to 4, approving the funding up to $60 million or more, um, did not go the way the protesters wanted, um, it's still remarkable in many ways um, what they were able to achieve in terms of keeping this present. Again, something that was supposed to be just, it was going to happen, nothing they could do to stop it. Keeping it in the public eye, um, I mean, we've been talking about it for the last 20 minutes. I think that's notable in and of itself. And again, I agree that the next steps are what's really interesting and um, what's going to happen to those 11 city council members in the next election. Jim? Yeah, uh, I think the, that you are going to see this play out in 2024. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, just a, a small correction, uh, uh, Atlanta City uh, uh, city offices come up for uh, for re-election in 2025. 25. Right, yeah, but uh, but one of the more interesting things you saw yesterday uh, was Insurance Commissioner John King, a Republican, get, stand in front of City Hall and condemn John Ossoff and uh, Raphael Warnock for 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 their remarks, and he he claimed they were turning their back the, the backs on 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 Atlanta PD. He is he is a former member of the the Atlanta Police Force, uh, wounded at one point, I think, uh, and. You can see. It, it, my interpretation is that is that you've got you've got John King acting as a stalking horse for for both Brian Kemp, who's considering his Senate run, and and for Chris Carr, who's considering uh, a gubernatorial run. And so I think you're going to see them try to 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 uh, uh, use this use this issue uh, when it when it comes time. I think that's that seems exactly the way I saw that John King soundbite, uh, because most of what he focuses on is attacking Ossoff and Warnock for their comments about uh, this raid. All right, Peter, um, let's go back to the actual vote itself. In the aftermath of the vote, and I don't have her precise language in front of me, but I can paraphrase pretty accurately, uh, Bernice King, uh, one of the most prominent protesters of the facility, along with the NAACP here, other civil rights organizations, she essentially said she was su surprised, stunned, shocked that in the aftermath of all of the um, people who came forward and said they opposed this, that city council passed it by such a wide margin or pass it at all. Uh, the vote was 11-4, which is a pretty significant uh, victory for the center. 
Yeah, I mean, it it all depends on the district, right? And how, well, the conversations that these counselors are having with people in their district, whether they trust their own polling or if there's polling that that they they know of that they trust even more, um, or there's just some other kind of interest uh, in, involved that that we don't see. Um, I, I think we are still waiting on a comment from the mayor's office. I just did a quick search and I couldn't find it. Uh, but speaking no. to his press representative yesterday, uh, several reporters asked what kind of statement they are preparing. Are they preparing multiple statements in advance uh, uh, of the vote? And the, the word was that they are just preparing one. So this, if it was a surprise to others, it doesn't seem to be a surprise to the mayor's office. Tomorrow, before we leave the subject, I... I and by the way, I, I do want to make one observation uh, because Peter referred to the shooting death of Manuel Turan. Um, of course, part of the controversy around that is that uh, law enforcement is still investigating GBI. Um, but the uh, scenario that was uh, first uh, made public about this was that he had fired at law enforcement as they attempted a forest clearing there is controversy over whether that happened, how it happened, but I want to make sure we do uh, say that in this conversation. But before we do leave the subject completely, Tamar, um, one of the ultimate ironies of this is, especially in terms of the people who just believe this is going to be a center that will militarize police, it, but the irony is that better training for law enforcement officers in the long run ought to be of benefit and value to some of the very groups that are protesting this. You know, uh, training that uh, teaches police how to de-escalate a situation is just one example. I mean, that's what supporters of the center, that's the argument they make. That's something you hear the mayor talk about as he sells this police training center. But at this point, all of this, it's become a symbol. It almost doesn't matter if it leads to better outcomes. And you hear the mayor talking about how it would actually be cheaper in the long run for the city to build this because it's cheaper than what the city currently has. But but this has become a symbol of so much more. It almost doesn't matter the, the details. And for protesters of this, this is a symbol of how the city establishment has completely ignored them and treated this like a foregone conclusion this entire time, how a deal was made behind closed doors and there was nothing that folks could do to stop it. And even despite all the protesting, um, it didn't matter. So um, expect to see this um, being used in the future as kind of a symbol of, you know, the corrupt government establishment. Um, and as Jim said, let's see if this still is an issue in 2025. Peter, um, last words from you before we uh, let you go. Did you hear talk yesterday about from any of the protesters about next steps, assuming city council was going to pass this? Did you get a sense of where they might be headed, kind of knowing it was likely to pass? Uh, I did not know of any particular plans that they have. I, I imagine groups will still come out to protest at events that are like this, they, they, they may mark anniversaries, for example, of, of Tortuguita's uh, uh, death. But other than that, they, they seem to make vague statements about staying unified. And, and even Councillor Liliana Bakhtiari, who voted against the project, says, no matter how this vote works out, uh, I will be with you. So I'm not sure what that means in practical terms, but it does not seem like they, they're interested in losing cohesion after this point. 
All right. Um, we will obviously uh, pay attention to this and see what happens next. We'll wait for a, a statement from the mayor's office and uh, maybe from um, more people who are opposed to the center and certainly report those out when they come along. Uh, Peter Biello, thank you so much. I know you had a very long workday yesterday. I'm very grateful to you for joining us for the first segment of Political Rewind today. Your first time on the show. Come back sometime, Peter. Happy to do it. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Let's take a break, and we'll be back with more. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Emory University, Professor Bernard Fraga, Jim Galloway, and Tamar Hallerman join me as we continue our conversation on Political Rewind today. Um, all right, Tamara, you, as I said in introducing you, have been on top of the special grand jury and about Fon- on Fannie, Fannie Willis's efforts to investigate the uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Um, and now we're simply, I think, in a waiting period because we now know that sometime in the months ahead, what is her time frame, July 11th or something through the early weeks of September, have I got that time frame right? When she said, well, somewhere in there, we'll announce whether we have indictments or not. At this point, it's looking like early to mid-August. So really, July 31st to August 18th is the timeline. Okay, so in the meantime, we're always looking, all of us as journalists, for something to report out. The Washington Post the other day put up a story in which they said that they had learned that Fonnie Willis has expanded her investigation to other states where there may have been efforts, uh, uh, illegal efforts, to overturn elections in other states as well. And it's all part of the possible effort to indict people on RICO charges, conspiracy charges, right? Yes. And We've known that the DA has been interested in RICO for a very long time. When she first announced the existence of this investigation back in February of 2021, she mentioned RICO was a law that she was looking at, and it's something she's brought up periodically. I'm not I'm not afraid of RICO. It is something we're looking at. Well, now we know that recently the DA's office has reached out to two firms that were uh, working with the Trump uh, campaign uh, in the aftermath of the 2020 election. One is called Simpatico Software Systems, and the other is called Berkeley Research Group. Um, one is based in the Northeast, and one is in California. And basically, it was their job to uh, assess these claims of fraud and to see if there was any, um, if there was anything to them. And based on this reporting from the Post, uh, these two companies didn't find any fraud there, or at least any massive fraud on the scale that was being alleged. And so this is interesting for a number of reasons. Um, you know, it, it shows once again, the DA's interest in RICO and and why she would be interested in them is to help firm up the intent of folks like Trump uh, like Giuliani, the people around him, as they were pressing Georgia officials to overturn the election results to call for a special session. When did they know that 
there wasn't massive fraud. Um, were they pushing it anyway, even though they knew better? A lot of the testimony in the January 6th committee helped speak to that question, uh, but these firms can also help with that and help figure out whether there was criminal intent. Uh, Bernard, one of the things I think is interesting uh, about Georgia's RICO law is I, um, I, I just in, in, in uh, reading the Washington Post story, learned something I assume Tamar probably already knew, and that is Georgia has very broad RICO statute that allows for someone like Afani Willis to reach beyond the state borders to see if conspiracies um, exist that may be tied into things here in Georgia. Um, and it does appear increasingly like uh, we're going to see RICO as the main line of indictments if they come down. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this is setting up um, the potential for a kind of, you know, legal challenges to Georgia's RICO statutes, the relatively broad mm -hmm. um, statutes that Georgia has that allows someone like Willis to go and look at what's happening in other states. And, you know, this is, I, I think that's that's a broader question. Again, just like we saw with Trump's impeachment, especially the first impeachment, you know, I think a lot of folks are relying very heavily on the idea that somehow the legal system is going to, you know, put, you know, um, the former president in jail for 20 years or something. I, I really doubt that that's going to happen. Um, I really doubt that this is going to stop um, President Trump's campaign and or former President Trump's campaign in 24. And, um, you know, the legal challenges are going to continue. But, you know, again, I think this is really just about also people making a statement. Um, and uh, I think we're going to see that reflected in the in the race for president 24 as well. Uh, Bernard, before I bring Jim in, tell me why you think are, are you suggesting you think that uh, Donald Trump uh, may not face any kind of uh, if he's found guilty of any crimes here? isn't going to face much prison time. What I'm not sure what you're suggesting, and I'd love to know what you think about that. I don't think that he's going to, like, actually be in prison. Uh, no, okay. I don't think that's going to really happen. I don't think that that's a realistic kind of scenario for all sorts of reasons, as we've seen. I mean, you know, I think I'm not a lawyer in this. I'm not an expert in this. But, you know, my read of the potential constitutional issues around the statutes under which, you know, the president, former president could be indicted, is that there would be a lot of challenges and he would exhaust all of those challenges. Um, and, you know, before, you know, serving any prison time, certainly. Jim? Yeah, uh, one thing uh, we need to note is, is that 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 Fonnie Willis was in charge of the uh, prosecution of Atlanta public school teachers uh, for, for rigging uh, test scores. Uh, that was a RICO. Uh, uh, prosecution that was that was uh, they were accused of of uh, racketeering engaging in a conspiracy so 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 there is that I would all, also we also need to point to the fact that uh, that uh, on Saturday you're going to have many many likely targets of Fannie Willis in Columbus at the state GOP convention uh, Donald Trump will be speaking uh, and and he of course he has he has uh, he's He's made some statements that uh, that uh, uh, legal experts say are, are are helpful to the prosecution uh, already on on a number of issues. You'll have David Schaefer, the state GOP chairman, who's 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 not running for re-election there, but he's he's been notified that he could be that he's a target. You'll have uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Burt Jones, 
who who also participated in the in the state senate effort to uh, to to gin up a, a rejection of of uh, Georgia's electoral votes. So you you'll have it will be interesting just to listen to what they have to say. I you're not going to see no one's going to be served with a with a subpoena or anything. I don't think there. Uh, but but it will it will it, it will be interesting to see how they frame uh, what's what's likely to happen by the end of this summer. Uh, I, Jim makes a good point uh, tomorrow that this will be a gathering of targets of Fannie Willis's investigation, um, especially uh, of course um, the chair himself, David Schaefer, who led the uh, fake slate of electors for uh, Donald Trump. Um, let, let me ask you this, uh, Tamar. Do we know, is there, we know this special grand jury was was uh, put together to gather information and to make recommendations, but of course they don't have any powers as a regular grand jury to charge. Before we leave the subject, do we know where the regular grand jury on this would stand? Is it something that is it, could they be underway already? Is it likely the next session happens at the beginning of August? Help us understand that. So Fulton County at any given moment has two grand juries that are always in session. Uh, and there's two different groups. One grand jury A meets Monday, Tuesday, grand jury B meets Thursday, Friday, and they hear a bevy of I mean, murder, trespassing, kidnapping, anything. They're hearing dozens of cases a day. Fonnie Willis could in theory go and talk to them today or this week. But based on the statements that we've heard out of the DA's office, it sounds like she will not present any potential information should she decide that she wants to try and indict some people. Um, we don't think that's going to happen until the next set of grand juries are seated, which will be the first week of July. So while it's possible, I don't think it's likely that she's she's talking to them right now. And what's interesting to, to see now with this reporting from the Post and based on some other um, tidbits that have been made public in the last couple of weeks is the fact that prosecutors are still assembling new information, that they're still subpoenaing people. They're interviewing some folks, like some of these fake electors, for the first time and getting new leads, new information. So even as this investigation is seemingly winding to a close, it's interesting to see that they're still collecting new information. Uh, Bernard, before we leave the subject uh, and get to our final break of the show, I, I, I want to kind of speak to your observation that you don't think that Trump is likely to ever uh, see a prison cell, which which uh, I think many people agree with you on. Um, I wish I could remember who it was who conjured up this image in one of the newspapers I read in the last week, but I want to mention it uh, to you. I, I mentioned it briefly on the air last week, um, and it's the image of Donald Trump sometime next spring, or for that matter, summer, uh, being having been indicted by Fulton County, maybe by DOJ. He's got the New York case. It's it's Donald Trump stepping onto a rally stage pulling up his one pant leg to reveal the ankle monitor <laughs> that he is wearing because he's going to stand trial and getting a tumultuous round of applause, uh, cheers roaring back at him. And you know what? It's a really crazy image, but it's not so far-fetched. You know, I think that's right. And I mean, um, <laughs> you know, Trump has already made statements. Um, saying, you know, the DOJ should stop interfering in the 2024 election, not 2020, 
2024. It's very clear that he interprets and his supporters certainly interpret everything that's going on right now, the legal challenges he's facing, as really an attempt to make it so that he is not the nominee, uh, the Republican nominee for president, and that he is not elected president um, if he does win the nomination. All right, um, let's take a break. Uh, Donald Trump is leading uh, the Republican field in virtually every poll. Uh, but, of course, we have new candidates jumping in this week, including Chris Christie tonight, Mike Pence tomorrow. I want to talk about that with the panel after we get to our final break. Jim Galloway, let's start the conversation about uh, Chris Christie jumping into the race tonight by uh, uh, hearing just a little bit of a Wall Street Journal editorial board uh, piece this morning. Um, the Republican presidential contest is about to get more crowded. This week's first new entrant is Chris Christie. Mr. Christie plans to campaign by, quote, mixing it up in the news cycle while engaging Donald Trump. That could be a public service, the Wall Street Journal editorial board says. Mr. Christie became nationally known as governor for his public smackdowns of political opponents. Um, and it, they go on to say that Mr. Chris Christie uh, is going to tell hard truths about Donald Trump. Um, he is seen by many as a guy who recognizes he's not likely to become uh, the Republican nominee for president. And while he denies it and says, I'm not a paid assassin, I think there are many people who see him having that role. <laughs> yeah, it, it, look, this Republican field is, is it looks like it's, it's kind of, uh, you, you have two wings of it. Uh, uh, one, one are the fight club candidates. You know, the, 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 you, 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 have, you have Donald Trump, you have, you have uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, and now you have Chris Christie. They're going to go at it hammer and tong, I think. Uh, and although I have yet, I, I don't think DeSantis has, has been brave enough yet to, to attack Trump by name. And then you've got, then you've got uh, uh, the kind of the, 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 the next generation wing, uh, the, the let's move on, let's move past this wing, uh, uh, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, and 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 and, and a few others. Uh, so so there's so we have that. Uh, I would also kind of, you know, one of the more interesting things that happened yesterday uh, was was uh, Governor Sununu out of New Hampshire uh, uh, declared himself out of this contest, and he had an op he, he had an op ed in the in the Washington Post. And of course, part of part of his motivation, he said, is he didn't want he, he didn't want a repeat of 2016, where you had so many candidates that that, that the winner, uh, i.e., Donald Trump, uh, could get by with just 30, winning 35 percent of of the vote, time after time after time, and and, and win all the, win all the delegates. Uh, but he also said that the GOP needs to get away to to, to re-embrace things that it once stood for, like local government control. It was a it was a really interesting shot at at DeSantis and his 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 let's make America Florida campaign. <laughs> Bernard, jump in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when I look at the Republican primary field right now, I mean, the, I see three camps as well. But it's really Trump, you know, who holds an overwhelming lead in all the polls. He's um, at a majority or over majority of Republican 
primary voters said they would support him over the others. Then you have DeSantis, um, 20, 30 points behind. According to polling, he was doing better before, but has declined actually since he announced. And then you have, you know, uh, another group of folks where, you know, folks aren't really giving them a chance. Um, we talked about Christie. I'm really interested in looking and seeing what the former vice president, Mike Pence, does. Um, he's set to announce, uh, according to reports, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, tomorrow, it looks like. Um, I saw, you know, a picture of him on a on a motorcycle with a motorcycle vest on. So he knows who he's appealing to. Um, we know that the idea was that Trump put him on the ticket to appeal to um, an evangelical um, constituency that he felt like he needed to shore up support with. Um, I think it's really interesting the way that he's talked about um, some of what Trump has done since he left office and talks about January 6th. Pence is, I think, in many ways, the only contender right now who can say that he was with Trump and with the Trump administration, indeed was the Trump administration, up to the point at which we saw what happened on January 6th, which was, again, only a couple of weeks before, um, you know, Joe Biden was inaugurated and the Trump presidency ended. So I think there's a really interesting lane that he could take advantage of. So far, it hasn't manifested in the polls, but we'll see if he can thread the needle and emerge as, frankly, the only formidable challenge to what looks like so far, um, Trump cruising to uh, the nomination. Tamara, I think that the Pence campaign would be heartened to hear Professor Fraga's uh, take on the possibility of Pence having a lane, because there's an awful lot of people out there who think that, number one, Pence has totally alienated the pro who people who might uh, be more likely to vote for Donald Trump, even, you know, might say maybe not Donald Trump, maybe we are tired of him, but they're not crazy about Pence because he didn't help uh, uh, Trump hold on to the office of uh, president. Um, and on the other side of it, uh, he's probably a little too conservative for the more mainstream Republicans. But his hope, as long as we're talking about him, is he's going to spend a lot of time in Iowa, lots of evangelical voters. He fits right in with them. And that's where he thinks he might make some real uh, strides forward. And pardon my dog in the background snoring. I don't know if you can hear her on the air, but you're absolutely <laughs> right, Bill. Um, spend a lot of time in, in Iowa. Hope you can win over the evangelicals, give you some momentum going into a state like South Carolina that also has many. Um, the issue, of course, now is he definitely has Donald Trump directly attacking him for not doing more on January 6th. And there still are plenty of evangelicals who are still loyal to Donald Trump because he gave them that supermajority on the Supreme Court that was able to overturn Roe versus Wade. It's frankly going to be hard to, for anyone to take a lot of momentum away for Donald Trump. And this large fractured field is exactly what the former president wants. He'll be able to coalesce um, with a plurality, uh, which might be all he needs, just like in 2016, where he was able to take advantage of kind of too many other candidates uh, in the race and, and win with just enough. And, and Bernard, we should point out that he won in 2016 in a large field for in a couple of ways. Number one, in debates, he picked them off one by one, starting with Jeb Bush, who went into the race as by far the uh, front runner for the nomination. And then, as Jim Galloway has uh, mentioned, uh, because the Republican Party has a winner-take-all rule in many states, and in a crowded primary field, Donald Trump could get, say, 30% of the vote in a given state, and yet 
take all of the delegates from that state. I mean, I think, you know, the, the Trump strategy is clearly to just be Trump, um, depend on getting, I mean, again, right now, he doesn't just have a, a plurality, he has a majority. Um, you know, we're a long ways away from the early nominating contests. A lot could change. I think that the legal kind of battles that Trump is embroiled in are a big part of that. I think some of these candidates are waiting in the wings in case there is a situation that gives some Republican <coughs> primary voters pause. But, you know, this is a this is a, you know, a classic, I think, strategy that you see with Trump. He's going to pick them off one by one. I think his effective skewering of DeSantis um, is a sign that, you know, Trump is going to be able to resist a lot of these attacks, not get bogged down um, unnecessarily and can be effective at attacking even again. You know, DeSantis was seen as the person who was going to be the most formidable challenge to Trump. He is second place in the polls right now, but nowhere near um, Trump's polling. Jim, uh, wrap this up for us, uh, and we're going to move on. Yeah, and uh, let's 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 take it back to Chris Christie uh, and, the, and 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 the questions about him. It's it, one of the one of the stranger things about his candidacy is going to be the fact that he probably more than any other uh, establishment republican was uh was responsible for for Donald Trump uh getting that lead in in 2016 you know you'll recall that that uh, that uh, uh Christie's campaign did 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 rather badly uh he uh he ended up uh, becoming the first establishment republican to endorse Donald Trump uh, yeah. He he yeah. Uh, uh, he didn't get he didn't get any of the administration posts that he wanted out of it, but but nonetheless there was that there was that uh, there was that uh, that link between them. Uh, uh, I mean, he, even back in 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 2020, uh, Christie was still with Trump, uh, 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 helping him uh, helping him prepare for a debate with uh, Joe Biden. Uh, he finally broke with him uh, over uh, uh, January 6th. Uh, and before that, Trump's denial of having lost uh, the election. Uh, Tamar, I, I, in sending out a note to all of you about uh, topics I thought we might want to look at today, I included uh, the story of uh, what happened up in the little town of Hartwell, population of 5,000 people, when uh, the community theater up there uh, voted to have a, quote, family-friendly drag show uh, during Pride Month for the community. And I wanted to talk about the controversy that uh, stirred up up there. And what's interesting is, as we're turning to this subject, a story just crossed the wire that I think plays right into this. The Human Rights Campaign, just which is one of the largest, is the largest, LGBTQ plus um, a support organization just released a statement that says this, LGBTQ plus Americans are living in a state of emergency. The multiplying threats facing millions in our community are not just perceived, they are real, tangible, and dangerous. In many cases, they're resulting in violence, uh, forcing families to uproot their lives, flew their home, and triggering a tidal wave of increased homophobia and transphobia that puts the safety of everyone at risk. All right, that's what they released. Um, somehow, drag shows have got, been caught up across the country in Republican-dominated states as part of this backlash against the LGBTQ community 
And Hartwell's just one example of it. Sure. And a tiny town of like 5,000 people <laughs> where otherwise life was maybe a little more peaceful. And it goes to show that a lot of this rhetoric that you're seeing playing out on the campaign trail for presidents and in state houses uh, really trickles down and impacts even the smallest of little towns, including Hartwell, Georgia. And I mean, there's a, there's a real impact, especially on young people. And you see it captured in polls. You see it captured in really troubling public health statistic in terms of uh, suicide rates for especially young transgender people. Um, and there might be real consequences to this rhetoric. Um, so, Bernard, let me just uh, read you a couple quotes from people on either side of this issue where they first approved this family-friendly drag show at the community theater, and then the backlash was strong, and then they said, we're not going to allow it to go forward. This, by the way, all transpired in March, but it just came to light in a report in the AJC uh, this week. Um, a, a pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church, which is in Royston, right near uh, uh, Hartwell, Pastor Mike Myers said, um, Bible verses warned that, quote, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, whereas Reed Hamilton, who is the priest at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Hartwell, said, I work for a church where bishops gather in large assemblies, mostly men <laughs> in purple dresses, so I'm not going to talk about how people uh, dress. It, it but, you know, this sort of plays back into how Mike Pence is going to run his campaign in Iowa, siding with the, uh, the most conservative uh, uh, evangelicals. You know, I was just looking at some um, recent polling data from The Economist and YouGov and indicated that the vast majority of Americans, including a majority of Republicans, believe that there's at least some discrimination against transgender Americans in the United States. Um, I think that the... Uh, you know, the same thing with um, some, you know, gender reassignment surgery and other kinds of treatments for youth. Um, you know, this is a story about individuals pushing back against change, um, about uh, recognition and acknowledgement, frankly, of, um, you know, many of the kind of issues in the LGBT community. And it, it's really troubling that this has become also kind of a, a, a way of candidates making statements and positioning themselves um, in these kind of culture war debates, um, instead of thinking about people, about humanity, and about how we can be more respectful of each other, that's what I'll say about that. Jim, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, we had we had a very quickly we had a, a, a judge in Tennessee declare uh, that state's law uh, 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 anti drag uh, law unconstitutional, and and quite frankly, I've got you know legally, how do you distinguish between a a a, a drag show? And something like uh, a mo the movie called "Some Like It Hot" or "Hairspray." What is the difference? <laughs> uh, absolutely, and and I would imagine that right now, um, "Hairspray." There are those who love John Hart, uh, John Travolta, uh, playing a, a a drag character in that, uh, but probably would be on the other side today. Who knows? That's it. We're completely out of time. Jim Galloway, Tamar Hallerman, Bernard Fraga, thank you so much for a great conversation on today's show. We're back with a brand new show again tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care, stay healthy, and please be good to one another. Bye, everybody. <laughs>